Good day. You're listening to Free City Radio. I'm Stefan Christoph in Montreal. Thanks for listening. This is the 168th edition of the program, and I'm going to be featuring an interview today with Viviana Herrera, who is the Latin American Program Coordinator at Mining Watch Canada. Mining Watch Canada is a very important organization that has been around for a long time that tracks the activities of Canadian mining corporations around the world. Now, Canadian mining companies are known in many uh, parts of the world as carrying out very detrimental both environmental practices and having links to human rights abuses, particularly as impacting Indigenous people in the Americas. Miningwatch.ca is the website. I think Mining Watch Canada's work is important for a number of reasons, obviously to track the activities of Canadian mining co corporations, also the relationship between these corporations and Canadian embassies around the world. They've tracked this exchange and the support that corporations are getting from the Canadian government, and also the response of social movements, the organizing uh, within local communities in the Americas, but also internationally. Mining Watch Canada also has focused on looking at the ways that Indigenous peoples are affected by Canadian corporations also in these northern lands of Turtle Island. So this is a conversation that looks at the work of Mining Watch Canada and Viviana Herrera uh, speaks particularly about their work in relation to um, Latin America, but more generally gives a picture of the work of this important organization. So here's our exchange on Free City Radio. I'm joined by Mining Watch Canada campaigner Viviana Herrera, who has been working specifically in the last few years on campaigns related to Canadian mining corporations' activities in Latin America. That's a huge subject, but I think that often, like in the last couple of years, um, there's been less focus and conversation about what Canadian mining companies have been doing, uh, especially in Latin America. There's a relationship with Canadian embassies. There was a bit of a change in discourse when the Trudeau Liberal government was elected. But in terms of actual policy change, there hasn't been um, much shift in the practice of these companies. So maybe that's like a bit of a framework for our conversation. But maybe first, if you could just introduce yourself and share a bit about what is Mining Watch Canada and just sort of the work that you do. Yeah, for sure. Thank you. So my name is Viviana Herrera, and I'm the Latin American Program Coordinator at Mining Watch Canada. Uh, I am originally from Colombia. And um, yeah, so uh, Mining Watch Canada is a, a very small organization based in Ottawa, and we do uh, support uh, and accompany in, um, communities, uh, indigenous and non-indigenous communities in res affected and in resistance to uh, Canadian mining companies uh, here in Canada, but also internationally. And so what we do is that uh, we, for example, we provide uh, technical support, um, technical expertise. We connect communities with uh, technical uh, experts on mining who could, um, you know, inform uh, their uh, resistance uh, efforts and struggles. And we also um, 
try to connect uh, those uh, struggles with with other struggles in other countries. Like, for example, mm. if a community in Argentina, for example, is being affected by mm. a uh, ex company that is also affecting another comp- uh, community in another country like Mexico, we try to connect those struggles so the the communities are able to um, uh, exchange, connect. Um, uh, and share information about, uh, you know, what the company is doing in one place uh, as opposed to what they're doing in another place. And that uh, has proven very effective for us in terms of strengthening local and internal uh, resistance efforts. And Mm -hmm. I guess another piece of uh, work that we Mm -hmm. do is Mm -hmm. that because we're based here in Canada, right, and is that we try to take, uh, mm-hmm. to hear those uh, complaints, those denunciations about uh, human rights violations, mm-hmm. about environmental damage uh, that the communities, uh, but also allies, local uh, organizations share with us so we can make them visible here in mm-hmm. Canada. And so, um, you know, civil society, um, organizations, but also, you know, Canadians as a whole are uh, aware of, you know, what Canadian mining companies uh, do and mm-hmm. how they behave mm-hmm. in other countries. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, we create mm-hmm. those, uh, you know, uh, links uh, of solidarity between uh, Canadians and um, communities um, in the uh, global south. So this idea that there is local opposition to Canadian mining companies, you mentioned the number of countries and contexts. Um, Maybe we could start first with why Mining Watch Canada has tried to build relationships with different communities, like, and across countries, like, just in terms of the strategy and thinking about um, like bringing to light the issues of Canadian mining companies' practices, because I think there's a general sort of awareness that there are some issues with Canadian mining corporations' practices in terms of land rights and the human rights of Indigenous people. Um, can you talk a bit about, like, maybe show an example of how, like, creating connections between places in Latin America that have been affected by Canadian mining companies has been uh, important to raise awareness here in Canada in terms of sharing information from these communities uh, in regards to like what is actually happening on the ground. Yeah, for sure. So I think that uh, what you're saying is is totally uh, right in the sense uh, that, um, you know, there is this myth in in Canada that, uh, you know, um, Canadian mining companies uh, behave uh, better than other companies um, around the world. And, uh, you know, Canadian mining companies are more responsible, more uh, that they abide, uh, you know, local laws, policies, as opposed to companies from other countries, and that we respect indigenous mm-hmm. rights, and that we don't do environmental harm. So uh, we try to question uh, that those uh, myths that are so ingrained into, you know, the Canadian psyche, into the Canadian uh, 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 thinking or imagine, imaginary, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and how do we do that is by, you know, um, um, 
echoing mm -hmm. uh, communities' views and concerns mm -hmm. um, a, about um, their own experiences uh, mm -hmm. on the ground with mm -hmm. Canadian uh, mining companies. Mm -hmm. um, and so, for example, uh, uh, we hear a lot that um, in countries uh, such as, for example, uh, Ecuador in Colombia, right? Where, um, a, for for example, um, in in Ecuador, uh, Canadian mining companies uh, uh, are the uh, number one uh, uh, in terms of uh, uh, mining companies in the country, right? So uh, there's a, a very strong um, a linkage between uh, Canada and, and Ecuador in that mm -hmm. regard, mm -hmm. uh, but we don't know that much about that. We don't hear that much about Ecuador. It's one of those countries that don't make don't make it into the news over here, and so that's one of the things that we try to do. Uh, and you know, uh, speaking about uh, the importance of connecting communities, I just recently uh, came back from Colombia, where we were um, we had a really nice, beautiful uh, exchange of um, mm -hmm. experiences and mm -hmm. knowledge mm -hmm. between um, um, communities, indigenous and campesino uh, communities from um, Colombia and Ecuador. Mm -hmm. So. Um, these communities actually live in uh, in the Paramos. Uh, Paramos are uh, highland, wetland, mm -hmm. unique ecosystems mm -hmm. that only exist in South America, in Colombia, Venezuela, Ecuador, um, and and I, th I believe in also in Panama. Um, but the thing is that these ecosystems are so important for in order to regulate for example climate change uh, and they are the the, mm. the the place where these mm -hmm. communities live uh, and yet they uh, they are being threatened by Canadian mining companies mm. um, uh, they've been threatened for uh, more than uh, two decades or, or even more okay. and so this exchange of experiences between the communities from Ecuador and Colombia mm. allow the communities to learn about each other, what are the strategies that these uh, com companies uh, employ in order to divide and conquer communities, in order to... Well, uh, for example, um, uh, communities in Ecuador, they, they will be talking about how, for example, um, uh, so here we're talking about the Paramo de Quimsacocha and the Loma Larga project. This is a, a project that is being um, developed by um, a Canadian mining company, uh, Dandy Precious Metals. And what they've been doing is that they are, they've been consulting only with certain communities and denying that right to mm. the other communities, right? Mm. Uh, they've been denying that, um, in the, one of the arguments is that there is no uh, indigenous um, communities in the affected area. However, um, in a recent um, decision by the Supreme Court or local tribunals in, in the province of Cuenca, where the Paramoikimisakocha is located, actually ruled in favor of communities saying, yes, there's indigenous communities here and you gotta you have to consult these communities. Mm. And so that's one of the reasons that has created some tensions between the communities mm. because, uh, you know, uh, just by consulting with some and not consulting with others or sharing information with only a few people, but not everyone, right? Or also, you know, like uh, the discourse uh, that um, uh, the promises uh, that companies make when they arrive into a territory, right, in terms of jobs, right, job creation and mm -hmm. development, uh, um, the um, 
indigenous people from uh, uh, the province of Loja, uh, the Saraguro uh, indigenous community, but also the campesino communities from um, the province of um, Azuay. They told us how they they told us, but also they told the communities in Colombia how um, uh, their sons or their family members want to work for this company because the of the precarity of work and the lack of jobs and so of course they don't want their family members to work for the company and so of course that's created tensions divisions between uh, family members I remember remember one of them telling us you know my brother um, was working for the company and I am part of the movement against mining. So, and it's been a, a couple of years that we don't speak to each other. So this is sort of like one of the, um, uh, this is just one example of many of how mining creates havoc, creates damage, um, destruction in the territories. It doesn't only occur when a mine is um, constructed mm-hmm. when it's, when it's yeah. installed. It starts from the moment when a mining co- uh, project is uh, announced. So this is an example in Ecuador. And so from what I understand, often also the mining company will sort of negotiate with certain leadership in a particular community. And maybe you can just, we can use this a bit as an example. I understand that there's many, but um, often when there's sort of an informal political uh, structure or a traditional political structure, if it's an indigenous community, the model of social communication and governance is very different than the mining company would imagine. And so it's, uh, yeah, just building on this idea that even if a mining company claims to have consulted with certain aspects of a community, that doesn't necessarily mean that this Canadian company has gotten a green light from everybody. Exactly. And I think that um, it's also important to highlight that it's not only about consulting or sharing information, right? They gotta, um, they have to have consent from communities, right? And I think this, this is something that happens a lot uh, in countries such as Ecuador, mm. where, uh, you know, companies say, we consulted, we share uh, a little bit of information with, mm. the, the, with the community, but that doesn't mean that the community voted to say, yes, we want mine, uh, that mining project. Mm-hmm. So that's, um, communities, uh, they denounce these sort of strategies as a way uh, um, to to say how they are you know betrayed mm-hmm. or used in these sort of systems uh, by the companies but also by the governments because uh, that's I think that's important to mention that you know companies corporations and governments usually work uh, hand by hand and um, and so I think that uh, that's a, a very important issue the the lack of uh, consentment the lack of consent to mining projects but also the right uh, the right to say no to to mining projects um, if we if we continue to speak about Ecuador another very um, emblematic case uh, uh, about Canadian mining companies and resistance mm-hmm. in Ecuador is the, uh, the the example of the Shuararutan people uh, this is an indigenous um, community uh, in the Amazon of mm. Ecuador who is who are affected by multiple multiple extractive mega projects I'm talking about hydroelectric dams I'm talking about uh, oil I'm talking about mining and uh, Aust- Australian Aust- Australian and Canadian mining projects um, and 
so right now uh, they've been uh, for the last um, tw- actually 20 years they've been they've been fighting against a Canadian mining company that has changed names over the years we know that's a strategy that they use right now they are um, struggling uh, against Solaris resources this is a Vancouver based company and once the Shuarutan people learned about um, the this company arriving in their territory in 2018, uh, they mobilized and mm. they hold a referendum within their own structure um, before everything started. And they voted and they say, we don't want to be consulted because we are already saying no to mining. So there's no point to consult because we are saying we don't want mining straight up. Mm. And they voted. That was recognized by, you know, that's uh, they have their right as an indigenous people to make those statements and those declarations. Uh, And yet um, the the mining project uh, went ahead. Mm. They are right now on the uh, in the exploration phase. Uh, and so this is another example of, you know, um, how indigenous rights uh, uh, mm. to to say no, mm. but also to uh, be consulted mm. and also to get consent are systematically uh, violated when it comes to Canadian mining. Can you just underline, you mentioned Solaris Mining Company uh, and its project in Ecuador, and you mentioned another just for people who are interested, I know that also Mining Watch Canada has a lot of info on your website. Can you mention the two projects in Ecuador that you highlighted? So, yeah, of course. The, the first one that I, I was mentioning is the Dandy Pressures uh, Metals uh, Loma Larga project, which is located in the Paramo de Quimsacocha. Uh, this is uh, southeast uh, of Ecuador, and it affects indigenous and campesino communities. Yeah. Um, and then the and this is a gold, uh, copper uh, mining project. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the other project that I mentioned is the Guarinza project. This is a project that is being developed or pushed by Solaris Resources mm-hmm. um, and, um, and in the Amazon. Mm-hmm. And this is a copper um, a mining project that, that is being um, pushed as uh, needed for the um, uh, energy transition, or mm-hmm. as we say, for the capitalistic energy transition. And as I mentioned, this is a project that mm-hmm. is highly and overwhelmingly opposed by uh, indigenous communities, which is the Shuara Rutan people. So you had mentioned earlier this sort of dialogue that um, can happen in the context of your efforts at Mining Watch Canada to create communication. And you were talking about meetings in Colombia with members of these communities from Ecuador who traveled to Colombia. Um, This sort of like cross-border strategy to oppose mining companies, um, often it's sort of painted, uh, or like an image is painted that you have, okay, there's communities affected by mining and they're sort of maybe having a protest or two Um, they're really sort of victims. Uh, So you're describing a different process where people are strategizing and organizing and sort of having a political process that's autonomous and powerful. Oh, yeah, for sure. And uh, I think that's a good point. We're not talking about a 
isolated cases of uh, resistance against mining projects. No, this is something systematic that we see in every single country in Latin America. I'm talking about Latin America because this is where I work, but we also see it in Africa, in Southeast Asia, and pretty much everywhere, and of course here in Canada. And so um, there is uh, an actual... Um, uh, um, movement against uh, Canadian mining, mining in uh, Latin America. And it's very unfortunate because as we were talking about uh, earlier, there is this myth in Canada that, you know, Canadian mining company is better than others and, and is well respected. However, uh, Canadians probably, most Canadians, Canadians don't know, but when um, many people in Latin America hear about Canada, the first thing that they think is about destruction and they think about harm, and they think about violations of indigenous rights. Uh, that's, when they th what, that's what they think when they hear uh, Canada. And that's because of the experiences they've had uh, with uh, Canadian mining companies, but also because of what they've watched on television, right? Canadian mining companies uh, make it on the news in Latin America, and not for the right reasons. Um, and so answering uh, also your second question in terms of strategizing, um, because of all of this movement in Latin America, yeah, commun communities, either they uh, connect at mm. the local or national level, but also they connect um, transnationally, mm -hmm. right, uh, within uh, Latin America. Um, and sometimes they do it accor according to companies, as mm -hmm. I was saying earlier. Sometimes they connect because they are, uh, different communities in different countries are affected by the same company mm -hmm. or because um, there is something that unites their fight. Cases related to investor state dispute settlement. These are uh, cases that allow uh, mining corporations to sue um, uh, sovereign states when these states finally, <laughs> let's put it that way, finally decide to, to listen and to hear uh, communities' demands. Mm -hmm. So one example, again, um, because I'm going to mention is about Colombia because it's very recent. Um, a Cana many Canadian mining companies have sued Colombia because um, the constitutional court mm -hmm. have decided that no, they are not, uh, they are not going to allow, for example, mining in the Paramo de Santurban, which is where we were in a recent trip. And because of these, um, this, um, protection of the Paramo de Quimsacocha and the protection of water for more than 2 million people who rely on water from that Paramo, the company has sued the, um, the Colombia. And this is this happens throughout Latin America. So this, is, this mechanism is denounced by communities in Latin America because this is a way to pressure governments not to listen to communities, right? Because they feel threatened that if they listen to communities and they stop mining projects, then they're going to get sued um, sue by um, mining companies mm. at international uh, tribunals. Mm. Mm. You talked about this sort of pressure from companies in terms of like the process of pushing forward a mining project. And, you know, there's a lot of mirroring and a lot of like parallel that you could see in the Canadian context where you know, even the sort of formation of Canada, it's like, well, a forced negotiation or a forced mining project or a forced pipeline, you know, this is happening now, especially in the West of Canada, where, you know, companies will insist and insist that this mining project or 
coastal gas link pipeline or Trans Mountain pipeline should happen. And no matter how many times a community says no, they just are insisting, but with this discourse of consultation, but in fact, it's not consultation because there's no actual respect for what communities are saying. So it seems like there's a parallel between the way that Canadian companies are acting domestically and internationally. Absolutely. And I feel that this is why we feel that uh, what happens in Latin America or other parts of the world is just, you know, the colonial way, how uh, the uh, how Canada was created and this model of colonization uh, and mistreatment uh, of indigenous peoples is exported to other parts uh, of the uh, of the world. And one uh, very particular example of this, uh, going back to the case of the Shuar Arutan people in Ecuador, is that um, uh, in this company, Solaris Resources, which is based in Vancouver, is that um, uh, the vice president of operations of Solaris Resources, Federico Velasquez, he was a uh, academic in Vancouver. He was a professor at Langara College, and he has all of these connections with uh, 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 university institutions in Vancouver. Then he worked for the government of British Columbia, um, uh, working with indigenous peoples um, uh, in particular. Uh, He was in charge of reconciliation um, uh, in British Columbia. And then he moved on, you know, like, as we call the... uh, a revolving door. He started working for mining companies, Canadian mining companies. And as I was saying right now, he's the vice president of Solaris Resources. And what he's brought to the to the table as a very innovative way of um, communicating uh, with uh, indigenous communities, with the Shuararutan people, um, in terms of this uh, What Insa project in the Amazon, mm-hmm. is that he's saying, I brought all of this experience that I have from uh, working with the government of British Columbia and universities in uh, British Columbia to the Amazon. Um, and uh, I'm bringing you know, my experience with reconciliation with indigenous communities in, in, in Canada to uh, the Ecuadorian context. And um, this has, um, this is of course very problematic in the sense of creating this narrative in Ecuador that reconciliation uh, has worked in in Canada and that um, uh, uh, when when we know that it hasn't, right? Mm -hmm. Viviana, thank you so much for taking the time to speak today. Thank you so much for the opportunity to, to be here with you. Respect. That was an interview with Viviana Herrera, who is the Latin American Program Coordinator at Mining Watch Canada. I'd really encourage people to check out the work of Mining Watch. Um, They are at miningwatch.ca. It's been a pleasure to observe and support and engage with the work of this really important organization for many years. This has been another edition of Free City Radio. I'm Stefan Christophe in Montreal. We share a new broadcast once a week and you can find us on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. Just look up Free City Radio. We broadcast on AM and FM stations in Canada, including CKUT 90.3 FM on Wednesdays at 11 AM, CJLO 1690 AM also in Giugiage, Montreal on Tuesdays at 1 PM, CKUW 95.9 FM in Winnipeg, 
Treaty 1 territory of the Métis Nation, airing at 10.30 p.m. on Tuesdays. CFRC 101.9 FM in Kingston, Ontario at 11.30 a.m. on Wednesdays. And on CFUV 101.9 FM in Victoria, B.C., broadcasting on Wednesday at 9 a.m. and Saturdays at 7 a.m. Our archives are at soundcloud.com slash freecityradio. If you like the show, please tell a friend. Um, we share the word about this project through, um, you know, passing the word in a grassroots way. I put a lot of effort into organizing and preparing this broadcast every week. I'm really happy to share it. And uh, I know that it really takes a grassroots effort to organize a lot of the campaigns and efforts that are featured on the show, but also to spread the word about independent media projects like this one. So thanks for listening and I'll talk to you next week. Every week we hear uh, excerpts from a piece called Passage by Anarchist Mountains, which is a project that I work on with my brother, Jordan Christoph. So I'll talk to you next week and take care. <laughs>